and welcome to this week's A Photographic Life. What can I say about journalism? It has the greatest virtue and the greatest evil. It is the first thing the dictator controls. It is the mother of literature and the perpetrator of crap. In many cases, it is the only history we have, and yet it is the tool of the worst men. But over a long period of time, and because it is the product of so many men, it is perhaps the purest thing we have. Honesty has a way of creeping in, even when it was not intended. John Steinbeck, the writer, said that to John P. McKnight in a letter in 1956. In his childhood and adolescence, he stayed up through the night, his head by the radio, absorbing everything being broadcast from nearby Duluth and from 50,000-watt stations throughout the Midwest and the Deep South. R&B, gospel, jazz, blues and rock and roll. He was fascinated as well with the storytelling tricks and oral mysteries of radio dramas such as The Fat Man and Inner Sanctum. It made me the listener that I am today, he told an interviewer many decades later. It made me listen for little things, the slamming of the door, the jingling of car keys, the wind blowing through trees, the songs of birds, footsteps, a hammer hitting a nail. Just random sounds, cows mooing. I could string all that together and make that a song. It made me listen to life in a different way. That was taken from an article within the New Yorker magazine titled A Unified Field Theory of Bob Dylan. He's in his 80s, How Does He Keep It Fresh? by David Remnick. The synthesis of these two aspects of storytelling, journalism and the attention to detail and narrative, is for me where photography exists, caught in a vacuum of choice based upon truth and fiction. Detail and bigger picture. That is why I've remained with it as a principal form of creativity for over 40 years. And yet, there is still a strong movement claiming that the story has little to do with photography and that the single image is all-powerful. Of course, it can be, and the story can be used as a structure for weak imagery. As in all things, balance is needed. What I do know is that our personal stories are intrinsic to both, and I don't think anybody who really takes photography seriously wants to be seen as somebody who gets a lucky pretty picture occasionally. I always talk about the importance to the photographer of remaining open-minded, not closing down on any options, and being able to look at work that we don't maybe understand and see benefit in seeing it, in exploring it, in analysing it. Well, recently I saw a Channel 4 programme presented by the comedian Jimmy Carr called Destroys Art. Jimmy Carr destroys art, in fact. And I was reminded of the... Uh, librarian and writer Richard Ovenden's excellent book, Burning of the Books, uh, that documents the history of the attempted state control of information and expression through the printed artefact. Interesting that they used a flamethrower, a chainsaw, a guillotine and paintball gunman to destroy the work on the television programme. All very violent options to deal with personal expression. 
It seemed to me as if it was creating a them and us situation, which we've already got in our politics globally at the moment. From a photographic uh, perspective, one of the images they chose to uh, revile was a Sally Mann portrait of Virginia, her daughter. And they put that against a portrait of the child killer, Myra Hindley. Destroy a print and make the others more valuable, I thought. There was a limited edition of both. Was this about cancel culture, something Carr has experienced, or ethics, or neither? To me, this kind of programme is dangerous, exploitative sensationalism. You may disagree with me on that, but I hope you'll agree that we shouldn't be destroying any art, whatever we feel about it. This week, we welcome to the podcast to explain to us what photography means to him in under five minutes, Henry Idon. Or maybe it's Idon. I'm not sure. Anyway, Henry's with us this week, and he's a photographic and lens-based artist whose practice concerns finding new ways and reasons to look at the landscape. He aims to produce work that is multi-layered, that can educate and inform audiences. His work is created through traditional film techniques across all formats and digital stills and moving image capture. Henry's films are held in the National Library of Scotland Screen Archive and Northwest Film Archive at Manchester Metropolitan University. His 2D work is held in various collections, including the Wordsworth Trust, Grundy Art Gallery Blackpool, State Library of New South Wales and the University of Tucson Library. Hi, Grant. I'm Henry Eden, and uh, I'd like to thank you for inviting me to answer the question, what does photography mean to me? Um, well, it's a broad question, I guess, um, and at times it probably has different answers, but where I am now, and I guess is an overall uh, answer, I, w- I would say it's a connection to the world. It allows me to connect to the world and to connect to my past and kind of curiosity and interest to the future and what's around me. Um, I'm 53 now, and um, my father died in 1980 when I was 11, and he was a keen photographer and filmmaker uh, as an amateur. And uh, when he passed away, there was, you know, some old camera equipment. There was his that I used to kind of use and sort of play with, I guess, take images with. Um, and I think that was mainly, maybe partly a connection to him. It made me feel closer to him, even though he wasn't here. I had a dark room in the bathroom as a teenager. And so I guess, yeah, that was a sort of connection to my past and there were boxes of Kodachrome slides that were his from the 50s and 60s and 70s. Um, and I used to look through those and that used to give me a kind of sense into who he was. And as a child, we used to have slideshows and all that type of thing. So I guess it kind of grounded me as to who I was and where I came from. Um, and and that, in that time, I guess as a teenager, I was kind of always curious about docu- documentary photography, the you other know, sort of well-documented canon of, of those famous documentary f- photographers. And that originally kind of, I guess, informed what, what I did. Um, and then later on, in the late 90s, I did an MA with Paul Hill and Greg Lucas at De Montford. And that kind of, that moved my photography on a huge amount, really. It, it, it allowed me to see it 
as more of an expression as who I was as well and, and use it to dig into things and a space for learning around the world, really, learning about the world. A lot of the work I've done, self-motivated work, because I work as a commercial photographer as well, um, but as, a, as a self-motivated kind of practice photographer, a lot of the projects that I've done in the past have involved a lot of research around those subjects. Um, for example, as artist in residence at Fortin Motorway Services, south of Lancaster, so I did a lot of reading about history and heritage of motorway services, which is the kind of informed that work. So photography, I, I use photography to learn, I think, about what's what's around me. And then that allows me, I guess, to show the world how I how I see it. This is what I see. This is what this is what I observe. And I think a lot of the time it's easy for us all to rush, rush through life and not stop to uh, take a look really on small business cards on the back of small business cards I had um, a quote from uh, Goethe and he said uh, what is the most difficult of all what seems the easiest to you to see with your eyes what lies before your eyes so yeah photography is a kind of long look really more recently I did a commission for um, Signal Film and Medium Barrow as part of the West Coast Photo Festival where I uh, photographed my observations and connections to the west coast of Cumbria. And the, the title of that was Rising Five, which was a Norman Nicholson poem about a young boy racing through life and, and stopped to have that look. Um, so it's definitely, photography me is, is definitely a way of, of looking and learning and researching um, about that world and trying to take images that I, that I feel of what I sort of call a compelling certainty. There's something kind of, you know, strong about that image. There's a strong background to it. There's a kind of depth of understanding about what's happening around that. Now, more recently, as well as my own practice, I've become involved in supporting others to have their expression. I do some work as a youth worker, uh, and I do some work in schools, introducing photography primarily to primary schools. And that's really interesting to kind of empower other people to use photography. So I'm keen for them to have their voice and tell their stories. I'm not really, I'm not one for telling other people's stories. I think it's important that they should be allowed to tell theirs. And I try and support in the background and empower them to do that. So I have my own work, this is my story, how I see the world. And I also think photography can be used powerfully um, to support others to see how they see the world. I guess in summing up, really, it's about kind of researching and looking and finding new ways or reasons um, to see and understand um, what what is around us. Thank you, Henry, for your contribution this week and for letting me know how I should correctly pronounce your name. The synchronicity of chance has uh, stepped in again and shown its hand. There I was at the beginning talking about the importance of story and narrative and the the importance of those things. And there Henry is telling exactly the same thing and also basing it on the incredibly personal story. Once again, a relative being that gateway to uh, photography. Just a reminder to those who are new to the podcast that I never listened to the contributions before you do. Therefore, that was completely new to me. 
I had no idea what Henry was going to talk about before I started talking at the beginning of this episode. But sometimes luck can be a good thing. Talking of observations, I observed something the other day on Twitter. There's a lot of stuff going on Twitter at the moment, um, but this was just a little thing, one of those details we were talking about at the beginning of the episode. Um, Some kind of a photo app, I'm not quite sure what it's all about, uh, has launched. Um, I'm not really sure what they're doing either. Anyway, what concerned me, the detail I saw was their description of what they were about and what they were doing. It said this. We are building a place for photography connoisseurs. Instantly, I was concerned. Sounds to me as if uh, it's a rather exclusive club they're setting up there. I wonder exactly how they define the word connoisseur. Whatever kind of photography that you're involved with, if you've ever had to photograph a wedding, I think you'll agree with me how tough a gig that actually is. We don't speak a lot about wedding photography here on the podcast. It isn't really kind of our beat. And there are enough uh, podcasts out there for those guys anyway. But even so, I recognise the difficulty and the importance of the wedding photograph. It's a very interesting area in that it's often very locally based. And of course, the moment uh, you photographed one wedding... That's the end of your uh, engagement with that client. So it does really require a lot of marketing to get yourself out there and get yourself known. And when you're working locally, word spreads quickly, whether you're good or any good or whatever it may be. Anyway, the reason I wanted to just address it at this point is that it's quite interesting to me how many emails I receive from uh, people about to get married who um, say that they want a student to photograph their wedding. They contact me in my role uh, running a, a photographic course at a university at Oxford Brooks, and they sort of say, you know, Uh, We're looking for somebody. It's going to be really easy. We just need these pictures taken. We thought it would be really good for the uh, students' portfolio. Obviously, uh, there is no budget. We don't have any money to pay for this this photography. Uh, They haven't thought about the idea of time or effort or getting there or anything like that. As far as they're concerned, this is good experience for a student. Now, I always reject uh, all of those emails extremely politely. I don't pass them on to the students. And this is why. Because as far as I'm concerned, that's probably going to be the most important day of your life. You're going to want to ensure that the photographs that you have, the, the historical record of the people who are there, might be friends and family members who you see very rarely. And you're going to look back on hopefully in 5, 10, 15, 20 odd years time and more and look back on that day as a special day. Now, these people are spending a lot of money on the dress, um, the clothes, the flowers, the cake, and yet they seem to feel that it's perfectly okay to uh, record all of that spend and pass that over to an inexperienced person uh, for the benefit of that other person, that as if they're not going to benefit from having photography for free. 
Well, of course, I recognise the difficulty of wedding photography. I recognise the professionalism that is required. And therefore, I would never trust a student with that work on that day. I also wouldn't put the pressure on the student to try and come up with those goods. And if they don't come up with the goods, whatever may come after that. So if you're listening to this and you're a wedding photographer, I'm on your side. What I always say is, listen, even if your budget isn't great, try and speak to some local photographers, try and work out a deal. But whatever you do, don't put the most important day of your life into the hands of an amateur. I'd like to say thank you at this point to all of you who've contacted us with really positive feedback about last week's episode, episode three of the conversation, I should say, between myself and Bill Shapiro concerning the photo book. If you haven't already listened to it, get back to last week's episode as well and have a listen. I think you'll enjoy it and find a lot of uh, the conversation interesting and also useful. Now, one of the things we also asked was, if you've got any questions about photo books, please email us with those questions. You can do that through uh, the United Nations of Photography.com website. So I look forward to getting your questions. Now, I started this week's uh, episode with a quote um, about Bob Dylan, some writing about Bob Dylan. And I've just been to see him uh, in Oxford in a small theatre. It was incredible. It was emotional. Um, It was very special. Um, Certainly for me, somebody who first saw Dylan at Earl's Court back in 1978, and I've seen him every time he's played in the UK since then. Got a horrible feeling that this may have been the last time. There was certainly a tear in my eye um, as we got to the end of the concert and the end of uh, every grain of sand. Maybe it was a grain of sand in my eye that caused that tear. Who knows? But what was really interesting was, although some photographs have sneaked out and some recordings of the previous concerts of uh, this UK and European part of the tour, you weren't allowed to take your mobile phone in. People weren't allowed to experience what was an experience through the lens of their smartphone, as if they were watching a television recording of what was happening in front of them. There was no opportunity to photograph what you were seeing. There was no opportunity to film it, just to live it. And that was enough for me. Take care.